They will start to think, and eventually they will completely outthink their makers. Is this depressing? I don't see why it should be. We superseded the Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal men, and we presume we're an improvement. I think we should regard it as a privilege to be stepping stones to higher things. So, Chris, Worldwide Developer Conference from Apple has occurred. I don't think anyone ever says it as Worldwide Developer Conference, but there you go. WWDC happened. And, of course, the whole conference was about generative AI. (laughs) Just kidding. Literally, they didn't even use the AI word once. and, And this being Apple, it was clearly crafted to intentionally not use the AI bad word. Yeah, exactly. I guess they don't have a play in that space, really, and so they don't want the conversation switching to that. I, I don't know if it if it was that. It seemed like they intentionally just didn't say it to start to position themselves as the, you know, around this whole privacy angle that they've had for years, which is we're going to not say it because people are scared of it. And so we're just going to protect you from this big, bad world of potential threats from AI. That's maybe, I think, the angle they're going to play here. Yeah, and the few things they do have are like running local models on the phone and not like automatically sending everything on your phone to the cloud for processing and that kind of thing. We'll get to the whole Vision Pro thing in a moment, but I thought this... uh, this like little meme here from Twitter, which I'll read out for listeners. What did you do with generative AI? Microsoft, we built a co-pilot for the web. Google, we created Bard. Apple, we fixed auto-correction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's so, it's so simplistic what they're doing. So for those that aren't aware, they are, are using a large language model or, or a language model on the phone to run the, the machine learning so that your autocorrect starts to personalize to you. So it's going to be the end days for ducking hell, which everyone yeah. is more than familiar with from Apple phones. Yeah, and like it's as simplistic as it is. I mean, I haven't used an iPhone for over 10 years, but those kind of things get real. I mean, it's your day-to-day life. They get really frustrating. So I think that, you know, the, them addressing those incremental things with the tech where they can is is nice. It's Their autocorrect is notoriously bad though. So I think if this is the main thing to come out of AI, not the death of all humans or extinction of mankind, having better autocorrect on your phone is a good innovation. Yeah, and I think Apple sort of has a way of applying technology. They do it a little later than others, but they do it better and they do it classy and, and all that sort of stuff. It's very polished. So I can I can see why they're not just getting into the wild west of AI just immediately and all in. It is interesting too, because we speculated maybe they'll build some improvements into Siri. Maybe Siri's going to get some better features or just improve to actually being a useful assistant. But the only innovation we saw was that they've just changed it from "Hey Siri" to "Siri now" when you want to signal this the 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 Siri thing. So yeah, I mean, as soon any time I get a new Mac or whatever, the first thing I do is disable Siri. It's got to be the most useless and annoying thing ever invented. Yeah, and I saw this week Microsoft are actually killing finally Cortana, their virtual assistant. <laughs> For, yeah. for the new co-pilot as well. So it does show, I think, the days of those assistants are over. But of course, the big story out of WWDC was this, you know, strapping uh, the, the, what do they even call it? Apple Vision Pro to your face and mm-hmm. entering the augmented reality world uh, by Apple. And it was 
interesting because we heard rumors early on and we even speculated on this podcast about the fact maybe they were going to use generative AI to create new worlds that we would live in. And we had all of this amazing dreams for the product. And then it turns out it's like, you know, you can sit on the couch alone watching a movie or watch your kids and create a 3D memory of a moment instead of living in the moment. Yeah, it's like, don't worry about the actual moment. Let's just remember it. It's like, yeah, it's like anytime you go to like a kid's performance at school, it's just now it's just everyone holding up their phones for the entire performance. And like, even when they're like, please don't, no, no filming. And then everyone just films the entire thing. I think the smart thing is just let someone else film it and ask them for a copy of their video. Yeah, I find myself doing it too. You have that urge now to just record everything because like, oh, I need to watch this later or, or keep this memory. But then I never actually have, there's not enough human time for me to go back and just like sit and go through Google Photos and watch every uh, video or, or thing. And so I find myself not living in the moment as much. And I, I wanted to call out an article that, that said, internet has discovered the saddest thing about Apple's Vision Pro headset. And it's this, the father, with the headset on watching his kids creating a 3d memory of, of, of this moment <laughs> is, and i'm like it is a kind of dystopian awful image isn't it like i'm surprised they included that for that exact reason yeah i think that it made me think about these two visions of the future around the two main trends in technology now one being the you know the all the hype and the the new, news around ai and how it's gonna on one hand you know help save humanity and be great uh, and solve all of our problems. On the other, it might, you know, kill us. We'll get to that a little bit later. But then as on the, you, as usual. Yeah. But then you on the other that. side of the equation, which uh, it's like, okay, now like let's strap a computer to our head. Uh, and, and There's it's, just something so desperately unnatural about it, isn't there? It really just doesn't seem right. And I, I don't know, like it's a tricky one. I do think... You know, a lot of people have said for a long time augmented reality is going to do better because a lot of people find the full immersion one really sickening. They feel sick or disconcerted. Or for me, I feel paranoid. Like I have an Oculus and if I ever put that on, I only do it when I'm home alone and I know that no one's going to like run up and attack me. Like I find it really stressful to use and I just can't see it being like a major part of the future. I yeah, know. I... um. I mean, for me personally, it, and the idea of having a headset on and being able to create a huge monitor wherever I am and do my work uh, through that, that means if it didn't create a lot of eye strain and it was, it, you know, it didn't like ruin your neck from the weight of the device. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. then I, I think I would be a, a big fan of, of using it in the, the work context. I, it would be so cool to just go into a room and have like an empty desk and you just slap on a headset and and get to work i think that would be pretty cool that is true you're right if they can deliver on that vision it's good like i've tried doing things like that on oculus and the two issues i had were like getting eye focus like in maintaining eye focus and the paranoia um but yeah i guess with augmented reality it's going to be a bit easier to achieve and the early reports on this thing uh that it's actually pretty good and actually worth the hype so i, w I wouldn't doubt it from apple either yeah, but going back to that two vision of the future thing, it just feels like with ChatGPT and how it's being used already by hundreds of millions of users worldwide to improve their productivity and eventually, hopefully, you know, solve health issues and have all these great impacts for society and humanity. 
and that's like a really accessible view of the future. The AI uh, narrative right now feels like the invention of electricity to me. Like we've invented this new technology. It, this is a technology that should, in theory, through hopefully the open source community, be in everyone's hands or everyone will benefit from it in, in certain ways. That's my hope. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, there's another view of the future from Apple, which is immerse yourself you know, have to spend three and a half thousand dollars US on this headset. I know the yeah, price will come down over that. time. It's like, oh, we can we can quietly sit and watch a, a family movie at home for like twenty thousand US dollars or something because each person's going <laughs> to need one. But yeah, just... I I was hopeful that this would actually be the first application of AI in a virtual world where you could slap your headset on and have a you know this AI agent sitting next to you in the virtual world working with you. This was my dream, right? And it's like well, your mean, assistant. That's not, that's not to say that won't come because remember when Apple first released the iPhone, they didn't even have an app store. Um, so I think that, you know, if 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 it take if it if it takes off and they keep it and there's new generations, it doesn't die like the touch bar, uh, then there will be those AI applications. Surely the people who have early access to this thing to develop on it are developing AI based applications for it. They must be. Imagine those slapping it on in your house and there's just these characters walking around. Like you create almost like fictitious characters in your life and roommates. Like you could truly live in this like augmented world where there's these like video game characters that you're working with. And I know one of our listeners, he's actually working on this like VR nostalgia simulator type thing where you can go back into this retro time of technology and be immersed in it. And someone like him could now with, with this headset, create that world, deliver that as an app and have these characters from the past. Like you could sort of go back to the nineties, like holodeck style, thanks to a combination of this headset plus AI. And the AI, yeah. And have that sort of dynamic environment you've spoken about in the past where the actions you take in the fake world actually have real consequences that have knock-on effects and memories and those kind of things. It isn't just npcs that are pre-programmed in a certain way so, yeah, yeah and I, you I, can go in and like screw with that world like sort of being grand theft Auto. i still think all of these visions of that potential future of being the, the entertainment value of ai plus this immersion of ar and vr is is going to be a winner yeah and then the other thing i've always had the vision ever since google glass came out is this idea that the augmented reality combined with some sort of database at the time and now with the AI lookup is, you know, I see someone, I've forgotten their name, I've forgotten their kids' names, I've forgotten all this stuff about them. And then I just get a heads up display of, oh, this is the person last time you saw them, you promised you'd do this and you haven't done it or whatever <laughs> it is. And, you know, and you've got all this context about the world around you. It's like, oh, you, you know, that planet you're looking at in the sky tonight, that's Mars. Mars is, you know, going to be over our our planet for the next little while. Jupiter's that one next to it. You know, there's there's certain applications for it where you'd be like, this would be truly exciting. And okay, AI probably isn't necessary for all of it, but like a lot of it, as we've seen, can be really enhanced by its own evaluations of what you're seeing. And we know that the vision capabilities are there in AI now to do it too. I just don't get why Meta is not already just racing. Maybe they are racing. They're still working on the legs, Mike. Yeah, they still haven't figured out the legs yet why aren't they why aren't they racing off now and and when you go into the lobby in in meta creating all these like virtual ai driven characters so that it feels like there's a lot of people in there because you know like no one really uses it that much but 
I, I think that would be one way they can get a head start here is just go all in on on the AI applications in their metaverse to sort of beat Apple to the punch because it's going to be a couple of years before I think they're selling a huge amount of these units when I can go and buy the the Quest 3 or whatever they call it now, that new AR one. For but I mean, do you think Apple is the kind of company that wants to create that stuff? They're more about building the hardware and the, the operating system. They're not really ever making their own software. No, but I think their ecosystem of developers that are now looking at this technology and saying, well, you know, I want to access a big audience and uh, I want to get my my app sold to as many people as possible um uh, uh, you know and now thinking about applications and if meta caught some of them and says hey yeah yeah uh, anyway i i just think there's a lot of potential here for the future of entertainment like it, it's inevitable if if you can create these engaging worlds that you can be a part of and insert yourself into this could become one of the most addictive technologies of our lifetime. Like Absolutely. And like, you know, you've you've shown me throughout the week people building these, you know, chat GPT or other LLM model-based personal chatbots that take on a persona and people are paying to, to chat with like a virtual girlfriend or a virtual friend or just a tutor or whatever it happens to be. Those are immensely popular. Once that has a full interactivity and you can interact with like an AI bot that remembers you, remembers what you said, remember what you asked it about that i think that that sort of companionship and that sort of um relationship even in an educational context could be highly valued by people i'd use it you know i've mentioned a few times i'm learning german if i had that ability to sort of interact with a large language model that appears to me as a person who can speak to me and correct my language i'd use it for sure yeah it seems like there's a lot of applications for this that you know i mean we probably can't fathom all of them yet, but there's some really obvious ones. And we did that whole special when we were speculating about this this device from Apple that, you know, you would potentially have a virtual tutor. Like, this is what I mean. Even in the workplace, uh, I know everyone's trying to, like, order everyone back to the office now, but it seems that a device like this is the complete counter to that. Like, you can be in the office, but you just slap on the headset. It could also destroy international travel for meetings because if you really feel a presence in the room yes that's a really good point people who are traveling specifically to have meetings as long as the you know the internet's there which it probably will be i could see that you could get that level of personal contact um from it uh without actually having to travel there you're right i, th I think it's there are positives to it there's a lot of positives to it and i like even though i don't tend to use apple products myself you can definitely see that they get the technology right and despite i think it's only such a high cost because it must have to be because it's at the bleeding edge of the technology yeah and i mean you look at what they've packed into it i, do, I don't really understand I think I'm cynical enough and inflation's high enough despite what they're trying to do with interest rates that people are going to buy them like mad. Like, I don't think the the cost is going to off-put anyone. I think people can afford it and will buy it. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. I, I don't think the price is never... I mean, they sell a, a monitor stand for $1,000 and people <laughs> buy it. Like, they're fine. They're going to be yeah. fine. Okay, so to sort of wrap up our, our amazing WWDC coverage here... I thought yeah, this we're, was we're pivoting the podcast to be about. Yeah, apparently reality. we're an Apple podcast now, but I, I do think there's a lot of overlap and a lot of themes intersecting here that are worth discussing. It will intersect. I think that's what we're really saying here is that while they may not have an AI play in this current announcement, 
they're going to have a horse in this race. If it's not them, it's going to be the developer community who are going to, you know, bring that technology into their their new headset. I'd be curious too if any developers are listening to this podcast and uh, want to reach out to us and share. I, and maybe that you don't want to share, but if you are working on this or you, if you're interested in this as a platform, I'd, I'd be really curious to know. Yeah, um, me too. It's always nice to hear what people are working on. So the there was an article in Mashable. I just wanted to call out this quote from it. Apple avoids AI at WWDC. Uh, and it said Federighi made this point uh, subtly, not on stage, but on the page in a post-game interview with Fast Company. He raised the specter of malign AI-driven deepfakes your loved one supposedly calling you because they forgot their password, for example. We want to do everything we can to make sure that we're flagging deep fake threats in the future, Federighi said. So they definitely are, as I said earlier, going with this angle of, you know, of like, we're going to protect you from the AI demon spawn. I think it's the classic thing, though. It's it's almost like, you know, that thing with your reputation. Once your reputation's broken, you can't get it back. So they're probably just by, I mean, they're the richest company in the world or close to it. I think they're just, you know, being careful and not not taking some unnecessary risk in a market that really doesn't know what it is yet. Yeah, and it's typical Apple, right? They'll wait on the sidelines, watch this play out, see where it's going, and maybe in two years we'll get some sort of, you know, breakthrough product or maybe it is the developer community that just turns the iphone and this new vision pro headset into the platforms of the future for for ai before uh you know robots come and inevitably kill us all hopefully first stack my dishwasher then maybe death but i just i really want to live in a time when that someone who has a broken dishwasher at the moment i welcome the ai overlords to come and do my dishes. i'm always open to that yep if they gave us like a 20 year horizon it would be it would be fine all right speaking of the future uh we have we have a very important update to share with listeners yes the update is that we're quitting the podcast because we're rich from gambling so we haven't mentioned it in a while and for those people new to the show we uh early on we were playing around with two really stupid use cases for ai the first was trying to build uh, AGI with all the tools that were available today, which I know baby AGI and a few other of these things came out uh, and weren't that great. But, you know, we were, we were playing around with that early on. And the second was, can we stack the odds in our favor by using the AI to enhance uh, our ability to gamble on certain events uh, in order to win a lot of money and at and it, it significant odds? And I want to read you a transcript from a chat <laughs> Chris and I had recently uh, about a particular bet. So let me, I'll read this to you and then I'll, I'll give you the kind of backstory of where we're at with this. Yeah. Uh, so me, did you win? Chris, it's running now. It's coming second. Me, if this works, we should become professional gamblers. Chris, <laughs> lol, yeah. Chris, it's in the lead now. Still a bit to go. Me, <laughs> me, this is nuts. Chris, photo finish. Me, Chris, it came in second. Me. This reflects very well on us. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, uh, I'm trying to censor the hell out of this, but we, we didn't win the first race, and this is the first time we've actually tried to bet on horse racing. And Yeah, and so the advantage of horse racing, just so everyone knows, is it's on all the time. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> like something... 
So, I was doing it. I was trialing it on sports before, like AFL matches and things like that. But they're only on on the weekends, and I'm busy on the weekends. I don't have time to be sitting around running AI models and gambling. So, um, but horses are on all the time. It's fantastic. Yeah, and so by no means we're endorsing gambling. In fact, in Australia, there's a huge gambling problem. Gambling is readily legal. I think we're the biggest gamblers in the world, and I honestly hope one day they they ban most of it. But if we can kind of screw over some of these gambling companies by stacking the odds in the people's favor and letting them win money, we thought, well, this is a good use case of AI. So we didn't win the first race, but never fear. Uh, we, we weren't going to give up that easily. So we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't raise it if we'd lost, would we? <laughs> yeah, of course not. Typical yeah, gamblers. Lost. Yeah, exactly. And Sorry, so yeah. the, the end outcome here is that uh, we, we started getting the AI to pick something quite difficult, which is the the first four horses. Is that right? The first four horses in order. The first order. four horses in the race, but not in order. So you don't worry about the order so much. Like who are going to be the top three or the top four horses, basically. Yeah, which is which is extremely hard to do, obviously. And so like the odd the odds on it are, are, are pretty damn big. And so here is what happened. So we we to, for context, we put this this bet on in the afternoon i think it was near near dinner time and i went and had dinner with my family and then chris messaged me saying that because uh, he put on a, a different type of bet that that uh, you know we lost. I just bet on the I just bet on the winner, yeah. Yeah, but I went. I for... didn't know. I didn't know how to bet on the the first four or whatever. It's too complicated. But yeah. Yeah, they don't make it easy. Anyway, so here is what happened. So I I put this bet on. It cost me twenty four dollars. I think that's like the minimum bet for this kind of structured uh, bet. And I load up my phone. And I turned $24 into $1,278, all thanks to AI stacking the odds in, in favor. And to be clear, I think I had I think I had $40 in my account from previous smaller bets that we had won through AI as well. So it's by no means have I I'm not down money or I haven't actually lost anything. I'm just up now by about $1,300. And so, Chris, can you explain to everyone listening how this works, why AI can potentially give you an edge in, in things like this? I think... Yeah. And so I, I do want to go through it because I want to make it clear. I'm not at all claiming that large language models can predict the future or anything like that. Nothing can. Um, and what I think it are its advantages are, it's not magic, but what it is able to do is take into account a lot of information at once. And to be clear, to do this, we're using Anthropic's 100K Claude model. You just you got can, us banned, can... but that, go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I, ho I hope not because, yeah, like, I really, really like that model and we're using it for legitimate things as well. This is just experimentation. Um, please overlook it. Please, please Anthropic. Um, and, but... However, what's amazing about it is you can give it the full, full history of every race that every horse has been in. And like, I've never really been in the horse racing community, but these guys, they store a lot of information, like everything you could possibly know about a horse, everything it's ever done, the kind of gear it's got on its head, who the jockey is, the jockey trainer whatever combination it's a lot of information and my real assessment here is that the ai isn't really doing anything magic but what it is doing is similar to what a human would do if you could not just have access well i mean everyone has access to the information it's free online but 
like sort of take it all into your mind at once and think about, oh, how does this factor affect this factor? And does the jockey whatever rider combination in here, have, have they ridden before? Have they ridden at this distance? Have they ridden at this distance with this jockey, with this trainer? Have they ridden in this weather? Because it takes into account like if it's a wet track and all this sort of stuff. So there's just so many factors that you have to take into account. And I know there's there's racing people who do this themselves, you know, with their own human brains but this is being done in a matter of 30 seconds um just by literally giving it a, a url where it scrapes all the information of all the the horse history and doing it and um one really really interesting thing that it does consistently is it i don't give it any odds information so i don't tell it who's the favorite any of that and yet it very often will will pick the favorite. Like it'll say, this is the horse that's going to win. And this is part of the problem with the system, right? The favorite doesn't always win, but it's picking one that's a dollar fifty to one. So it's not really worth, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze kind of thing. And I think the next evolution of it is for it to do these ones we're talking about where it's picking multiple combinations and ones where the payoff is so big that you only have to be right some of the time. But the other interesting thing that that we noticed through through trying this out, and we've only tried it a couple of times, is that often in these in the information you give it, there's sort of like the the horse racing experts assessment, like oh, you know, this horse she's coming off a four week break, and you know, uh, one uh, was slow here last time, you know, one to keep safe or prefer others, and all this this jargon that they use in the horse racing community. If you include that in the prompt, um, then the model gets really lazy and it'll just use that as its own assessment. It'll just completely bypass the whole thinking process and just tell you that and regurgitate it. And it's really bad. And so what I've noticed from doing it is you actually have to sort of give it the raw information with no biases, even in the way you do the question to get a sort of more accurate response from it. Yeah, and this is one thing we've talked about on the show before and it's been covered in, in a paper I'm sure we read in the past around the attention problem of these models where you just you can't really keep its attention focused and it's very easily influenced when you put bias in. You, actually, it was only a couple of weeks ago we talked about this. You can easily introduce bias into the model by, I think the answer is this. Uh, and that will bias it towards that outcome more likely than not. And so we yeah. encountered that problem directly when trying to make this uh, this app find the right combination of winners. But what what absolutely blows me away is I've experienced in other things, you know, just experiments I've done with larger models, larger context windows and that kind of thing is can it remember some arbitrary instruction from somewhere in it when there's all this other information? And what's remarkable about it is its ability to make assessments. And you can ask it questions interactively after it's made its assessment to go, well, why did you pick these horses? Like, what was it about them that made you think that they would win? And, you know, what else could happen? You know, do you think there are other possibilities? And it's it's able to to really make those assessments quite quickly and quite um, you know, without missing anything. It doesn't forget things in the context window. I mean, I know that's obvious and I know that's what it's meant to do. I shouldn't be surprised by it. But when you're actually doing it, it just it just has this feeling like, wow, that is really, really remarkable. And it, it keeps bringing me back to we're not quite at the level where we know prescriptively or scientifically, I suppose, how to get the prompts to do 
a certain thing. Like there's a certain incantation to it. You've got to work with it and get it right. Small things like, for example, that bias we just spoke about can throw it off. Whereas if you can sort of massage the data you're giving it, um, it, 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 it gives really good results. But it does speak to the need to tune the AI, right? Like uh, sort of massage. Like I think one, something it exposed for me is these large language models are so powerful at becoming almost domain experts in, in the fact that it can become essentially this expert in horse racing when given the right prompts and context and, and maneuvered the right way. I mean, that day we had a win in every race except for one yeah. that we bet on. And I think it was about six in a row and only one lost and it came second, which was the one you, you quoted the tra chat transcript from. Like, and it's, and it's only our feeble human brains who get greedy and whatever. And it's like, well, I'm not just going to bet on one. I'm going to bet on four um, that, that do it. Like if you just simply let it pick its number one pick each time, it would be well and truly up. And you could automate that. And I think that... It's very, very interesting because I think the next layer, and we're seeing this a lot in all the releases in the sort of AI community this week, it's a lot of this instruction planning related stuff. Everyone's realizing that you're going to need supervisory agents that are making decisions on how to coordinate the worker agents in what they're doing. So, you know, to, to give a specific example here with the gambling one, it's not enough for us to just point it at a race and say, what do you reckon? And then we go off what it thinks and then go place the bets. You need another thing that then assesses that information and goes, okay, based on this model and it's, you know, it's history of success and weaknesses, I reckon we stay off this race because I reckon it's not sure. Or based on its history, I think, you know, we go for the the first four or we just go for the straight winner because I think that's what we need. And I think that extra layer on top of it is what is needed, that extra bit of human thinking that we're applying to it it's definitely capable of doing that but i think we still feel that it's needed for us to make the final assessment there yeah so it's definitely still ai plus human but what yeah. you're saying is that and i think you know the entire ai community is discovering this at the same time is that to have true agency where you have uh, an ai that can act as an agent and make decisions and manage the budget of the gambling to make sure you're always up and always place the right bet. At, at this point in the technology, what we're talking about here is multiple agents working together cohesively towards a single goal as opposed to a single agent. Yeah, exactly. And it could be the same model. It could be the same system underneath, but I guess different prompts like we'd be talking about or, you know, we, we say agent, but it's really like a combination of models with a specific mission or objective. I think that's how I would describe it. And I think that I'm seeing increasingly things where people are having a planning agent that actually plans out, okay, these are the abilities you have, which ones am I going to use to accomplish this task and how, and how will I evaluate the results from each? Because the other thing we're definitely seeing is like imprecise results. Like you can uh, put the same data into the same thing. And sometimes it'll just go well off track and be totally wrong. And other times it'll be incredibly accurate so you need sort of this assessment that's like okay that was valid that wasn't valid and and those kind of things and i think the planning and assessment kind of agents working together brings us a lot more closer to something we would consider intelligence or at least giving us the benefits of intelligence than just straight up thinking you've cracked the formula for something and you can just keep running it over and over again and this can be applied as well pretty easily to another form of gambling. 
the stock market mm. <laughs> where you know you you essentially the same kind of concept right like learning everything there is about a bunch of companies in a in a potential market having different agents accounting for where you should place the bets if you should short um all of those different combinations this seems like a pretty good use case or, or, or a specialized product that uh, look, I think so. And we've discussed this on previous podcasts about, you know, that's, that's coming down the pipe inevitably, um, it, you know, as, as we go forward, because it, it makes total sense. Like just this ability to take in vast quantities of information and, and make assessments, take into account historical information, being given historical examples of where it worked and where it didn't. It's absolutely going to work in that market. Of course, it's a sort of game theory thing because at some point everybody's going to have access to these tools and they'll all be using them. So, uh, you know, that probably has to be taken into account as well. Like if you were the only one to have it, for example, then you'd probably have a pretty significant advantage over other people, even just in the leverage of thinking. Like you can, as a human, probably assess stocks better than um, the AI can, maybe maybe like potentially especially if you've got experience however it can do it on all of them you know like it can literally go through every single one and go you know what this one you're looking at i know you spent a lot of time researching it but there's this one over here that's actually slightly better um that you should look at but you didn't have time to to research it so i think that it's it's a case where it's just leverage it's just thinking leverage it's like if you know people often say that about themselves when they're busy like oh if only there could be 10 of me if only there could be 20 of me i'd get so much done because i know what i'm doing in this space and whatever but i have limited time the ai doesn't have limited time and has limited hardware maybe but or money but essentially you can multiplex yourself and your way of thinking uh and even perhaps a better way of thinking and get that leverage to get better results yeah i think that multiplex point is so true like the the world of agents is definitely coming where we're spending most of our time curating and crafting agents as opposed to actually doing the like the, maybe the job replacement is just the the form of agency of of crafting these agents to perform tasks it's going to be interesting though to see what happens in the stock market like do investors become just super informed and you know in the betting world that we're dealing with is like do these companies you know could they potentially go out of business like if two idiots like us on a podcast release this to everyone what would happen and who's, to, and who's to say we won't yeah and who's to say we mightn't be working on releasing it in the next couple of weeks to everyone <laughs> and then maybe these gambling companies might you know get a bit of a taste of what it's like to have the odds stacked against them yeah maybe yeah exactly i mean horse, <laughs> horse betting if i understand correctly is like a paramutual market where you're really just betting against other people i think the sports betting companies do fine no matter what happens because they adjust their odds so they're getting equal money on different things i'm no i'm no expert on it i think when you get to like sports betting and same game multis and stuff that's where they would probably really really not like it but um you know it's it's hard to say and coincidentally i've been running it on baseball as well and i've got one going at the moment that seems to be going well so um obviously i'll only report it if it wins so <laughs> yeah. um, you'll, you'll hear about everyone it. will get access to this tool and just lose like so much money it could be the best uh, endorsement for addictive gambling that well, and i think, that I think this, is the, this is the point i want to make is you're still ultimately making the decision of what to do with the information it gives you <clears throat> excuse me and i think that I think that's where we need to advance it to the next level, which is where it makes the decisions as well. And you're really just 
going, okay, this is like my, um, what do they call it? Like high frequency trading bot in the stock market that you just algorithmically give a budget and allow it to go run an experiment for you. And I think that, you know, that's what we're trying to get to with this. It's that whole, the, you know, the funniest outcome is the most likely or something. Like maybe what happens is we accidentally invent AGI through the gambling uh gambling project and also give it, a, it also give it a way to get itself resources to uh to empower itself to take over the world and that the agi event is just this drunken gambling AI. <laughs> <laughs> all it wants to do is bet on everything yeah yeah just one more just one more shot anyways we'll, we'll keep you updated on this project we haven't mentioned it in a couple of weeks because we haven't had that that much exciting to share but now it's working pretty reliably we, we want to, our next step is to start to gather some data. Like, is this an anomaly? Like, you know, are we just yeah, getting and lucky? I think, I think that's the thing. You don't, you don't want to get ahead of yourself and say, cause we had, you know, a little string of wins there on one day or a couple of days worth of wins. Is that really saying that you have something? It could be total fluke, you know? And remember a lot of the time it was picking the favorite. So, you know, that isn't so profound. Anyone can bet on the favorite. It's just that it happened to whenever it picked the favorite at one, you know? So um, favorites don't always win. So it's interesting. And I think, yeah, let's, let's keep reporting on it. And, um, ultimately I'd love to find a way to sort of share the results in advance in a way that can't be manipulated like blockchain style. So it's like, you're not just like I'm admitting to is just reporting now that we're winning, you know, like, I think that it'd be nice to be able to say here, this is what I'm going to do. And here's what happened. Yeah. I think having some like data collection around it where, people have to log their bets using it and then we store that over time and we have a, a website maybe that shows statistically does it give you an edge or not by having thousands of people potentially using it would be yeah. super and I interesting. Think, I also think an agent that has memories where you can punish it for its failures. It's like, you really screwed up on this one, mate. Like, you know, this this has really affected my life. Don't get it wrong again. <laughs> Learn from this lesson. You know, like, oh, look, at what, look at all that. You've got all this information. You still got it wrong. You know, like I really need you to do better. I think that kind of thing is really going to help it. AIs love examples, and I reckon if we give it examples of its failures, then it'll 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 need to improve. Yeah, again, not an endorsement for gambling. <laughs> gambling ruins so many people's lives. It's a horrible thing, and I I, I honestly deep down no, don't like don't, it. Like, and I'm definitely not saying that that like this the gambling is the only application for it. What I like about it is it's it's a thing where there's a definite result. You know, it's like you this is this is your thought and you get an actual validation or invalidation of that thought and i think that that's what's interesting to me about it and it sort of pushes the model to you know what it's what it's really capable of with reasoning and explaining its logic and, and all that so i think it's yeah. important why we originally settled on this idea is not only that but also we were like how can we use this technology to make insane amounts of money because if there's some sort of singularity this is exactly what you would do if you had control of it right you would just go and create infinite wealth by exploiting every mechanism of this technology and that's really how we landed to 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 maybe try this out but yeah and as we know if you ask the ai what it would do to do that it would it would create a disinformation campaign the likes of which the world has never seen <laughs> so this is a sort of muted version of that i think uh it wouldn't bother with money it, it would just go for power <laughs> Uh, the, the final thing I'll say on it is it's the weirdest experience because I never bet on horse racing or rarely do and to put in this like box finish combination by being told by the AI yeah, what it, to it plug in it is kind of funny that like your second ever bet 
was like you got the first four horses in the race right. Like yeah. that's got to raise some red flags over it. So we're being banned from Anthropic, Sports Bet. Uh, what else? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. That's why we need the podcast. If anyone from those companies is listening, please let this play out. It, it, it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I assure you. It's good promotion, really. Uh, and, uh, you know, let's keep the good times rolling. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> this is going to end poorly. Uh, all right, I want to play a clip now uh, from Sam Altman's world tour of self-importance continuing. This time, Sam Altman takes on India. Let's listen to the clip and then, and then we'll talk about it. You, you... Sam, can you, uh, just going to, going to startups, I mean, as you know, we've got a very vibrant startup ecosystem in India. Um, specifically focused on AI, are there spaces where you see, let's say, a startup from India building, you know, you can build on the models, you know, be it, uh, ChatGPT and many others, but if you want to build foundational models, how should we think about that? Where is it that a team from India, you know, three super smart engineers with, you know, not a hundred million, but let's say 10 million could actually build something truly substantial? Look, the way this works is we're going to tell you it's totally hopeless to compete with us on training foundation models you shouldn't try, and it's your job to, like, try anyway. And I believe both of those things. <laughs> I, th I, think it, I think it is pretty hopeless, but... So he says, I think it is pretty hopeless. My first interpretation of that clip was that it was somewhat sarcasm, like, ha, 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 we're really good, ha, ha, but you should still try, hint, hint. But it seems like no one's really interpreted that way and everyone, it, it, it's almost come across as this arrogance, like, we're so far ahead, we're the best at this, and don't even try, you'll never catch up, India. And I feel like India, game on. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think India is a country that could do it. That's the thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, someone says it like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just being sarcastic and joking. But I reckon he really thinks that. I think that they're like, this is our thing. Please don't do our thing. Like, you know, you can use our stuff and we. that's why I'm doing my world tour to encourage you to use our products. But don't do like, you, you know, this is off limits. Only we can do the bedrock algorithm. Sorry, I shouldn't use bedrock. Only we can use the, what do they call them? Base base models or whatever. Like that, you know, that's our territory. We own all the hardware. You know, we're in the pocket with the government now. Um, you know, and we're going to block anyone else from building them. Yeah, it, it seemed really arrogant to me. And the fact he originally set out on this tour to inspire people and learn about how people were using the technology. But if you don't fit into their sort of narrow lane of, were the rock stars of this world no one else can compete were the were the were the number one then you know maybe that was his true colors shining through i it, it's really i've said it many times it's really hard to like this guy i'm sure maybe in person he's really charming and, and like why say it like if you've got a if you think you've got this this sort of position unassailable position where no one can do it and first of all what company in history has ever been in that position and kept it um, and you think you've got this position, why crush the hopes and dreams of these people who are really interested in the same thing you are and genuinely want to participate in it? It just, it just seems wrong. Yeah, I really hope we're talking in a couple of years, maybe a year from now, and saying India's release, like India GPT, and it's like a billion times better. Well, they've got the highest population in the world. They're really into tech. Insanely um, smart people. Yeah, I just, I just don't see why you would write off an entire country and just be like, guys, don't bother. Yeah, I don't know. It could have been sarcasm though, and he's just tired on his. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here yeah. and say that maybe, 
But it's definitely making waves. It's it's trending right now on, on Twitter as we speak. And uh, a lot of people are playing that clip. So probably not the PR that he wanted. Interestingly, last week we covered an article about the roadmap for GPT-4. That's on the previous episode. If you want to go back and find that, it's in the chapter index um, on, on the podcast and on, on YouTube if you want to find it. But interestingly, I had to go back and find that article on, on Wayback When Machine because the blog... Uh, outlining the details from this talk had been deleted. I later found out on Twitter, and I said I'd investigate it on last week's show, that it's alleged that OpenAI asked them to delete it because I think that they didn't want that information out there. But obviously, they just drew a lot more attention to it. And that was where they were talking about GPU uh, availability. And so it it does sound like that one of the problems and we know this is just access right now to the hardware in order to train these models and and we know there's a hardware shortage because he said it and you can see that through nvidia's stock nvidia did you like that (laughs) (laughs) it's good i prefer it pronounced that way yeah um yeah and i i I don't know like i i guess i haven't been involved directly in trying to train a massive model and like you know they cost a lot of money and we've definitely seen the models that can be trained on smaller amounts of hardware in less time that give you know 80 percent of the results and things like that the question is how how yeah how important is it to always have the absolute best one when we don't even know what you can get out of them and also you know if you can train one that's 80 percent of gpt4 but you don't have the restrictions that they perhaps apply in terms of you know, API cost in terms of censorship, in terms of the things we spoke about last week with the alignment where, you know, this isn't aligned to the problem you're trying to solve. It's aligned to being a chatbot that appeals to the masses. You know, maybe it isn't necessary to to have the largest one with the most parameters. That might not be the best thing. So I think that there's a, that there is a certain arrogance there thinking, oh, well, it's only if you control all of the hardware and you only are the one to, to do the biggest thing that you have the absolute advantage because i don't think all of the advantages of this ai revolution come from just being the best model at the current moment yeah and the question is will we see a breakthrough where just like the human brain you know you don't you said this last week you don't need to be trained on a million dog images to understand what a dog looks like Mm. maybe there's a different way of doing this that the, the models can learn much well, faster. And I think that's and I think that's what we're seeing in the community this week in particular is and even even in our own experimentation is this idea of agency and this idea of of planning and you know and the chain of thought reasoning. You know, we're seeing more papers come out about the how to best apply a chain of thought reasoning to get the best results from your AI models. And it's certainly the case where you see like a great example because it's visual is things like stable diffusion and mid-journey and Dali. People who can craft really good prompts for them get miles better results than just casually doing it. Or if you use a large language model to create the prompts, for example, which I've experimented with, it creates so much better prompts for the thing. So there's certainly work that needs to be done on applying the technology more than just making a bigger version of the thing you know it'd be like creating the first industrial printing press but not really giving a shit about what you're printing in the newspapers like or the books or whatever it is um you know there's 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 domains within the technology that need to be explored extensively that they're not going to be able to compete on and 
those domains will exist whether or not you have the biggest model or not. So it doesn't just have to happen in the context of OpenAI. There's plenty of other ways that those domains can be explored, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it, I, I believe all of this, but the thing I'm still struggling with a little bit is to compare this to early era of search when you had a number of players like Alta Vista and, you know, Oh, uh, what was the dog pile? Was that one of them? Yeah, there was a, a ton of search engines, right? And then Google was just such a clear winner because it had the best results and a minimal UI and blah, blah, blah. But it always stood out and it, it, it's consistently been better and then just became the winner. And I just can't help but think like, you know, Google's Palm 2 API, it seems like you can now get access to it. I haven't tried it, but from I've what- I've tried to get access and failed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then from what I've heard on that though, like this tweet, uh, I'll pull up and I'll link to it in the show notes. I tested out Google's Palm API. Pros, it's way faster than ChatGPT, almost three times as fast. Cons response quality is awful in comparison. Mm. And then you've got Amazon Bedrock, which like no one can see, no one has access to seemingly. And I think it's still a bit of vaporware or, or terrible, which is why they haven't released it. So it's sort of like on one hand, we're saying the competition's coming, but we're all still mostly using either, well, open AI because it's well, available. I, you know, we, I sing the praises of Claude a lot because um, we have access and I've used it for things and I really like it. But I've noticed in even our own comments on YouTube that people who want to try it, perhaps because they've heard us talk about it or they just want to in general, can't still can't get access. And I, you know, we've speculated that that's probably because of um, uh, like lack of hardware. They can't, they can't scale it up. For example, the only reason I can think of. Um, so yeah, like, I think that's the thing. It's like that it comes back to that real world thing where, you know, in theory competition exists, but you know, in practice, does it like, are people really building the first commercial open source model we saw was Falcon, which has only been out for a week or so, which you need at least an A100 to run. Um, you know, is anyone building commercially on that on a large scale? So yeah, I guess at this stage, most of what we're seeing, like AI, people adding AI to their applications, it's all open AI, you'd have to think. Yeah, and it it it, the, it sort of parallels to this Apple Vision Pro where everyone's like, oh, you know, the first iPhone was expensive, not very accessible. They had to ramp up manufacturing. Is that similar for, you know, is that similar for OpenAI where it's like these guys have ramped up, it's readily available, it it is operating at huge scale, and then everyone else is trying to like figure it out and and they're like the iPhone and the Android phones are, are coming. Maybe that's a yeah, better I way mean, to think that, about that, it. That, that is a good way. To, that's exactly what I think about it. I think inevitably hardware catches up. It might take a little bit of time. There's also the thing I said where I don't think, you know, it's like we're squeezing lemons, but we're just doing it like with a little teaspoon or something and we're not, you know, ha we don't have a juicer available. You know, I think that there's more to be got to, can I say that more to be gotten? <laughs> There's more to be got. Whatever. I need AI to correct. We've my said English. so much stupid stuff on this show. I'm sure, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. The AI. When the AI is transcribing it, it can figure that out for me. But um, the you know what I mean. I think there's more to be. I can't say it. That we can get more out of the existing models, like you know, at at lower hardware 
limits. And I think that, you know, limits inspire creativity. You know, if you're, if you've got, if you've got limits on what you can do, you will get more out of what you've gotten. And that's why you still like, there's people out there still making games for Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, right? And they make these amazing games, getting more out of the hardware, the same hardware that they had back then. And I think constraints lead to what, uh, you know, good creativity and, and really interesting things. So I don't think we need to be constantly sitting around waiting for the next like GPT-5 or, or whatever it is. I think we need to take some time and explore what's here and, and what's capable. And that's what I see. Like when you look on Reddit, Twitter, Hacker News, um, Hugging Face and all the different platforms where people are releasing things, um, there's some really, really interesting applications of, of technology. And you're seeing like different industries like education and medicine mobilizing and starting to talk about AI. I read an article in the new, um, new what is it? The um, New England Journal of Medicine this week about, you know, renewed interest in applying AI to medical imaging, for example. And that's on the back of papers we've spoken about on here before. So I think that you're starting to see AI become pervasive in different industries where there was just a lack of, like, you know, there's been waves of AI, but there hasn't been this depth of interest and sustained interest that we have now in a long time. And so I think that that's where, that's what I'm more excited about. And we've spoken about this before. There's so much good that can come from this technology in the short term before we get to our doomsday scenarios that uh, and and that, that can be done with existing technology. So I'm excited to watch and sit on the sidelines and maybe and be involved a bit of what comes of that. I agree. The we we've said this that that there it felt like there was this shift of like where everyone was very overwhelmed. Everyone sort of got comfortable with that state of you know just constant advancements, and then it's like okay, now let's go build and see what we can do with this thing and. We talked, and there's a lot of papers this week about chain of thought reasoning and how to get this thing to reason better and stay on track and not uh, not lose track of the objective of what it's trying to do and evaluate its own thoughts and decisions that it's making. It does seem like by having these limits, you've got to overcome challenges like this, which actually may long-term improve the, the state of AI in general outside of just the obvious challenges like a GPU shortage. Yeah, and bring all the technology around it. Like one thing I've noticed in the open source community, it's getting increasingly easy to to try things. You know, there's there's Ooga Booga, I think it's called, which is like, you know, a text interface on where you can select different models and run them. Then there's this uh, site I found the other day called RunPod where you can just like spin up a GPU instance for like a few minutes just to try something out with pre-made templates for models and things like that. So it's it's gone from being this thing where, oh, I want to get stable diffusion running. That's going to take me a whole day and, you know, I need the right hardware and all that to being able to try things much more quickly. And then, you know, someone else has released open source code that'll allow your agents to plan out what they're going to do, for example. So there's a lot of tooling and, and really nice stuff out there that makes this more accessible. And I, I say accessible as someone who has the, the technology skills to do it. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that um, there will be time for all of that stuff to develop so more people can have access and applied in their, their respective industries. Yeah, this idea, though, that all developers are doomed and there won't be, you know, engineers in the future and they'll all be replaced. I mean, you know, I can't speak for the, the entire future, but at least in the next decade, I think there's just going to be so many opportunities of wrangling this technology 
trying to make it work and you know being that human plus ai in this development process of how we get the the maximum benefit of ai in society and i think having all these open source contributors and tools is so important to the entire ecosystem to be able to get this technology everywhere we want it to be and we and into the areas of society we know we need it like medical breakthroughs and all these other um, phenomenal areas but this week we also saw something that did scare me back on the sort of regulation front which is senators send letter questioning mark zuckerberg over meta's llama league and so <laughs> imagine explaining that to someone in the 1980s like yeah like it just as a title is mean? so strange maybe even now like if you weren't into this stuff that sounds like a bunch of nonsense it said we are writing to request information on how your company assess the risk of releasing llama what steps are taking to prevent the abuse of the model and how you are updating your policies and practices based on its unrestrained yeah, it's availability. A, it's, abuse be, it's abuse because it threatens open AI. Otherwise, it would be fine. How are they abusing it by using it? It seems seems to me that the the fear maybe here is that like other companies will use it for disinformation campaigns. How it leaked onto BitTorrent, the waiting's leaked. And maybe what they're getting at is if more powerful models are developed that are a security risk to the United States and they just leak, um, what that could mean for the their, their overall security. Or it's just like, you know, we suggested prior to the recording of this episode, you know, Sam Altman has regulators in his back pocket now and he's like, you know, let's make Facebook the, the poster child of, of all the bad stuff of this movement. But yeah, like, I mean, that's one thing. And I suppose you're right. They must be thinking, I hope they don't do it again because it's it's too late to get it back. Like, you, you can't stop it now. Um, but I think, and, you know, allaying my fears from our very early podcast where I was like, download everything you can because it'll be taken away. That fear of mine is gradually going away because I think that they're not, they're not getting rid of those waitings now. Like, that's out there everywhere. Um, and, but yeah, so they must be fearing Facebook's, you know, relative openness in the AI space is, is obviously a threat to someone, uh, and they're trying to, to stop them from continuing down that path, which is a shame because what they've done is really spurned on the entire open source community. Really? That was the, the llama was the real genesis of it. And I mean, look, I could be ignorant to that. There was probably, I'm sure there was other stuff going on, but it, it's where it really caught attention of mainstream people like me yeah it is still the most experimented on model from what i can ascertain from hugging face as well you know it's being used quite a lot still so i think a lot yeah, of the and it's the foundation of other models like people train it further and and things like that so it's not you know it's not just the raw llama thing it's like people are you know uh aligning it and all the other stuff they do to it all the yeah and all the papers that are coming out of meta and how they've got this open source approach i actually don't think that should be restricted i think it should be encouraged because the more pervasive these technologies are and everyone has access the more i think it's less likely to be a risk if everyone's got the same tools uh longer term but in in the short term i just i, I can't really see how it's that big of a risk right now uh, i mean misinformation's already uh, 
a, a weapon. It, it, it has been through the history of time. Yeah, sure, this will amplify it and make it a bit scarier, but it, you've still got to mitigate those risks. Yeah, anyway. it's funny because I, I shared with you my kids' school, the principal sent a newsletter around talking about ChatGPT and education, and he was quoting Plato, you know, saying that the invention of the alphabet and people writing down stories will cause everyone to not you know, remember knowledge and not bother to remember stuff anymore because it's it's written down. And, you know, and then people now worrying about, oh, well, like, you know, Wikipedia and ChatGPT, uh, no one will need to learn anything anymore. But that's not how those things played out. You know, like written language led to probably people getting more knowledge because it could be more easily shared. It didn't require someone telling them it and memorization and and those kind of things. So, you know, I think that the, it, it it's adaptable um that that kind of thing and it it probably is maybe not good but it's not necessarily bad either so there was a a video that went around on twitter this week which was from the bbc it was a prediction about ai in the future in 1964 i won't play the whole thing but i i thought it was interesting to play for everyone yeah, yeah the for sure. most intelligent inhabitants of that future world won't be men or monkeys, they'll be machines, the remote descendants of today's computers. Now, the present-day electronic brains are complete morons, but this will not be true in another generation. They will start to think, and eventually they will completely outthink their makers. Is this depressing? I don't see why it should be. We superseded the Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal men, and we presume we're an improvement. I think we should regard it as a privilege to be stepping stones to higher things. So, a stepping stone to higher things. He's sort of like Larry Page with his speciesist, speciesist comment uh, that he made to Elon Musk saying that we're just merely a stepping stone for a higher intelligence uh, in, in evolution and comparing us to... Uh, you know, us to when we evolve beyond the Neanderthals. So <laughs> do you think he's yeah, right? I mean, it's surprisingly interesting that someone can have that that level of, of thought back then. I mean, it makes sense once you get electric circuits, you think, oh, well, this could eventually be like a brain. But, you know, some of the some of the comments in there around it, how, you know, observing that the early stages of technology were like a stupid one and then eventually and inevitably it could reach a higher level of intelligence. I mean, that that kind of makes sense to me. And I think some people are thinking like that. And I think it's natural why some people, uh, you know, fear it because, uh you know, the thinking that back then, you know, it's now 90, well, how many years later? When was it? 60s or something? Yeah, 60 years ago. Yeah, it's so like 90 years later and 60 years ago. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like, and, and so now we're just at another a point like that where some people can have these clear visions of the future or a future where we'd be subjugated to, to the computers. Yeah. Everything we're talking about trying to, in these papers, model human thought, build different uh, modalities, uh, it, no matter how you look at it, it, you can't help but think we're just witnessing us trying to rebuild a human brain that's it's highly evolved. But I think what stood out to me about that clip is he, he later talks in it, which I, I didn't play about, you know, one day, just like we can record data onto a cassette tape or record or whatever was around that. 
Yeah, yeah. It, he, he says maybe we could do that in our our brains one day and just he instantly. Should have just said like the Matrix, like yeah, you, know, where you load the skills in instantly learn a new language like Chinese. He alludes to in the clip, and it it seemed the closest parallel I could relate it to was Neuralink, which uh, is now gone into human trials. So. The only thing I disagree with on that, though, is like even even AI models, you know, they need to be trained systematically to adjust the weights in their brain. So it's not like you could just load in a pattern of neurons into your brain. Your brain would still need some kind of of training, but maybe it could do it with certain thought patterns that lead to you learning that skill or gaining that knowledge, for example. And I think... I wouldn't have even considered that idea only some of the papers you've shared with me in previous podcasts around them actually mapping human thoughts and then drawing a picture of a cat or whatever that they were visualizing makes me think, well, you know, if you can find out the format of thoughts and play all the thoughts in a certain order, perhaps you can force someone to think through learning at least knowledge, if not a skill. Soon we'll be be being shown a million images of dogs in our brain. Just, yeah, just like with Neuralink, I'm not going to go first is the only thing. Like, maybe I don't know what, what skill I would want badly enough that I'd subject myself to that. Not really sure. You said when I played you this clip uh, the first time, it reminded you of a, a of a book. Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm reading a George Orwell book called Coming Up for Air. And um, I got it like at a secondhand bookstore where I had too many wines after dinner or something. And I, I never read it. And I picked it up the other day and I was reading it. And early on, there's this quote that I found really, in my mind, very much relates to some people's fear about what's coming with AI. To give some context of this book, it was it was written and published in the late 1930s. So uh, George Orwell had been through World War One. And World War II, sort of some people could see it coming. They saw the threat that Hitler posed. Like uh, um, Winston Churchill was one of those people. He wasn't in parliament at the time. And he was one of the people who saw the threat of Hitler when everyone else was putting him on Time magazine and saying what a, what a great bloke he is. And um, so George Orwell was clearly someone who saw what was coming with the war. So I'll, I'll read you this quote. I've abridged it slightly just for time, but I, I just want you to think about this and think about how some people feel about AI coming and what impacts it might have on the world. It says, I was walking westward up the strand, enough noise to waken the dead, but not to waken this lot, I thought. I felt as if I was the only person awake in a city of sleepwalkers. And this kind of prophetic feeling that keeps coming over me nowadays, the feeling that war's just around the corner and that war's the end of all things isn't peculiar to me. We've all got it, more or less. Whatever I thought you think, there's always a million people thinking it at the same moment. That was how I felt. We're all on this burning deck and nobody knows it except me. Like turkeys in November, I thought. Not a notion of what's coming to them. It was, if I, it was as if I'd got x-rays in my eyes and could see the skeletons walking. And then he sort of goes on from there talking about how he visualizes London being war-torn and like the the bombs coming overhead, the fighter planes, you know, which actually did happen to London, you know, with the Blitz and all that. And um, he sort of talks in vivid detail about what he visualizes happening. And I just, as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think that when you have the more extreme thoughts about what AI could become, I could see how people could definitely visualize a future in which, you know, it's bad because of what happens with AI. Um, and so, yeah, I, look, I don't know what to make of that. I just, um, it just really stood out to me as sort of being sympathetic to people who have the sort of more extreme beliefs when it comes to, you know, what this technology could lead to. The future seemed obvious to these, I mean, this individual in 1960, 
and that future seemed logical, you know, written in that book by George Orwell before World War Two. Mm. There's a lot of predictions about where things might lead. There's all the different statements about AI safety. Do you think it's a case where everyone knows the direction we're heading and just like we all have that deep sinking feeling that maybe that's the direction longer term? And I'm not talking short term, but longer term. And it's this, this uncomfortable feeling of, of the uncertainty of it all. But I guess the point is, it's like, you know, if everyone, had be- like if George Orwell had made his opinions known and, and everyone had listened to him, what could they have done to prevent it anyway? And it's the similar with the guy who's predicting, you know, computers becoming smarter than us. If he'd wanted to stop that somehow, what could he have done? You know, like killed John von Neumann or something? Like, I don't really, uh, I don't, like, there's a certain inevitability to this stuff. And I think somewhat that's what Orwell's saying there. Like, he sees this future, but he's not going to do anything to try to prevent it because he can't. And so, I, like, I don't know. And I just don't think that the sort of fearic efforts of governments around safety are anything more than political machinations and them, uh, you know, trying to protect their interests. I just don't see anyone who actually is trying to um, genuinely stop this because they think it's a, an existential threat. But also, I'm not good at politics. I don't really know. I don't think it's going to stop. And and like I always say, I I don't know what we're witnessing in this time in history, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see. We've got Apple Vision Pro with this augmented world. We've got AI, you know, still. I mean, just... it's so like I know I've brought it up before, but the the book series of books Perry Roden where they discover the alien race on the moon and they're all sitting in their personal entertainment devices like zombies just literally their spaceship is just parked on the moon because they're all so entertained by these devices we're getting awfully close to that where people are just sitting around with these things on their head just <laughs> watching movies or pretending to work or whatever the hell they're doing like it's it's you know it's actually happening it's kind of it weird. could be that like you come to earth in the future and everyone does have their heads set on laying around it's like the, the you know TikTok now when people are on that thing they're like zombies it's it's yeah. like a hundred times worse uh, with these AI headsets and then there's robots like attending to their bed sores and stuff because we conquered AI just to keep the entertainment rolling. I mean it's not that far fetched. That's what's so crazy <laughs> about it. Like they've got the tech. <laughs> like you just need the robots next to tend to the bed sores or whatever it is and we're there. Oh man. Oh, it's going to be interesting to, to see how this unfolds. Get, get your orders from the government through your Neuralink and you're away. What orders? I think everyone will just be sitting like, with their relax. headsets. Even, there'll be no government and it'll just be robots looking after us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, I'll still try one. Yeah, I'll definitely try it, of course. Yeah. All right, that'll do us for this episode. We heard you loud and clear about getting more content out there. We, we, we've talked about it. We have some ideas about slotting in some additional... Uh, very focused topics for you to listen to Um, some ideas around when we eventually get this gambling uh, AI working well we we think we're going to record an episode uh, a day at the races to to prove to you that it works uh, and record that live for you so that you can look forward to a, a little bit more content from us hopefully coming soon but don't hold us to it we're very busy with our day jobs that's right. We we reserve the right to be massive hypocrites yeah. at all times. Very yeah. hypocritical podcast, this show. 
if you like this episode and you're not already subscribed, please consider subscribing, uh, leaving us a comment to help uh, spread the word and doing all that stuff. I remind you at the end of every episode to do each week. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you.